Well, good morning. I'm Nathan Buck. For those of you who weren't here last week, I'm glad to be back here with you while, while Gilbert and Lisa are on vacation. And uh, thank you again for allowing uh, me and my family to be able to join you over these uh, couple of weeks here. I want to recap just briefly what we covered last week. Uh, the who are you and what are you doing here? That's, that's where we left off last week. God asking us the question, who are you? What are you doing here? And, and trying, to, trying to help us understand or search out or, or touch whether or not we have a deeper hunger than just survival, than just the circumstances we happen to be in. Do we have a, a relentless drive to discover our purpose? Are we listening and responding to the clues that God may be dropping into our life? The clues that he may be trying to pull out from, from his design of every fiber of who we are. We're going to dig a bit deeper into that today and look specifically at your purpose. But let me, let me pray and then uh, I want to jump into uh, just, a, just a little interactive thing with you here. So let's pray. Father, uh, would, you, would you allow your words and your word to be what we hear this morning, and, and Father, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our, to our hearts and our minds, and uh, Father, where doors are closed in us, and we, we are not listening to you, I pray, Lord, that you would open them, and you would, you would begin to have us understand you are speaking, and, and, and we need to hear that, and we need to hear that voice, and Father, where doors are already open, and we're already listening, I pray, Father, that you would continue to grow and mature us in those places and draw us near to you. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity together this morning, uh, not only in this part of your body, but with believers all across the world uh, who are worshiping with you this morning and uh, worshiping together with one another. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, up here, you're going to have a picture of some mugs I brought with me. They're all down here, but I figured it's a lot easier for you to see them up there than it is for you to see me holding them down here. So uh, anybody who knows, like within my family, the answer to this, these are mugs out of my personal collection. Um, And as you look at these mugs, I'd like you to try and pick out three that are made by the same artist. (laughs) Because you're looking at them, and, and, and you're, for the first time, for most of you, and as you look at them, you can already tell each one of them has their distinct, can we, can we, or is it possible to hit those house lights just a little bit? Just to bring out a little definition in these. But when you're looking at them, you can tell right away each one of them sort of has their own design and their own shape, right? So you can, st- you can call it out. I want you to call it out which ones you think, um, but you can say like top left, bottom left, you know, right side, middle, so however, or black and white, you know, whatever colors you want to do. But call out the three that you think are made by the same artist. Not a trick question, by the way. So top and bottom left, and top right. No, top right, the black and white one? Okay. Oh, far right. Okay, so we've got, we got a vote for the top, and we got a vote for the right. Okay. Any other opinions? We entertain all guesses. So try to pick out three that are made by the same artist. Any other guesses? So top left, black and white. (laughs) And then it gets hard, doesn't it? (laughs) The bottom three in a triangle. Okay. Why? (laughs) So you're not confident in that answer. It really is a guess. Okay. (laughs) Which is fine. 
Any three. <laughs> so you're going for the trick answer. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> not, not, not exact. No, not that one. I have to say no. Well, you give everybody give up. <laughs> so you're like, ah, it's killing me. Stop it. Well, actually, I tried to make it a little bit easy for you so that at least somebody would get them. There's actually four up there made by the same artist and two that are not. So let me flip it around. If you had to pick the two that are not made by the same artist, which would you call out? Top left and the one, two over. Okay, anybody else? The two bottom ones, not made by the same, or not made by the same. Okay. The, say again? The two greens. Wow, this is, this is really fun. You, you, are, you are the most entertaining group with this that I have, I have had, and, and the first one not to, uh, um, not to see through it. Um, so this is good. Uh, because I've mixed up the mugs, okay, just so you don't feel bad. I constantly am changing out mugs from my collection to try and mix it up. So if anybody, you know, sees this particular illustration, they're like, oh, yeah, we've seen these mugs before. I will give you the, the, the middle three and the one on the bottom left are all made by the same artist. Top left and top right, the brown and white one, are made by different artists. Blows your mind, doesn't it? Blows your mind. Now, understand what you're seeing in the middle four are the progression of an artist. Okay, so that's the growth of an artist. And that, that's something that you can't really anticipate when you get a first blush at something. You, you kind of look at it and go, oh, okay. But if you look really, really closely, now that I've told you that, can you pick out similarities between those four that maybe aren't the same style as the other two? No? Okay. And that's okay. If you're a non-artist and it's, you know, tactile or visual thing, then that's okay. Don't feel bad. Well, the rest of us are going to have a moment and we'll be back to you in just a second. So, but it is interesting when you look at them, even if you can't pick those things out, when you look at them, there's things that you start to go, hmm, what did you look at to try and pick out artists? Looked at handles? You looked at colors? What else? Quality of work, which obviously changed. <laughs> Good call. What else? What's on the in- Oh, so looking at the inside shape. That's interesting. Okay. The glazing colors. Okay. Is it fair to say that every single mug up here has kind of its own characteristics, its own character? And that a piece of every, you know, something about each of these mugs expresses something about the artist. We, even if we don't know the artist, it expresses something about the artist, right? So maybe he felt whimsical one day and made that wavy handle on the left. Maybe he felt really minimalist on another day and just made the P handle over here, the, the one that's just kind of a loop. Uh, maybe he just was really, really a newbie over there on the left one and did something crazy. I mean, we, we sort of get these ideas We may not know everything without the artist explaining it, but we know there's something. There's an intention going on behind these mugs. There's a fingerprint for design in everything that's made, a fingerprint of design. All of these mugs have a purpose. What would you say a mug's purpose is? To get a drink to hold liquid, to get a drink. Now, sometimes you use them for flowers and planters and stuff like that, but they don't drain very well, so it's not really good for plants. They're, they're most, and sometimes if you're a college student, you only have that one 
piece of, of, of dishware, so you use it for a soup bowl, and you use it for dinner and breakfast and everything else, and your coffee on your way to class. But for the most part, we look at a mug and we say, it's a mug. We don't use it as a plate. We don't really use it as a planter. It's a mug. It has a purpose. It has an intention. So not only does it have it fingerprints of design, but then it also, its purpose is pretty clear based on the type of design. Okay, you can bring the lights back up because I can't see anybody when I'm right here. There you are. Sweet. You know, in our life, we have desires. Anybody, I mean, does anybody not have desires? Okay, good. Um, we have desires that, that steer us and guide us. We have peer pressure that steers us and guides us. We have family pressure. Anybody not have family pressure? No, okay, good. Uh, we're all normal then. So we have all these things that come into our life and they try to grab the wheel and they try to steer us down a road that, that looks best. Sometimes those pressures are actually in sync with and they're, they're, they're touching on some of the things that are accurate, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're really just steering us down a road that seems to make sense and, and we go in that direction and we go, well, I think I'm doing the right thing. Like everybody seems to be on board. And I, it feels okay, but what if it's not? Sometimes those drives, those desires that we have can be so convincing, even when they're wrong, that we believe we're doing the right thing and going in the right direction. And then sometimes we find ourselves settled onto a journey that is more about survival than it is about purpose. Anybody feel that way at some point in your life where, you know, it's, it's I got to work because if I don't work, I don't get money. And if I don't get money, I don't eat. And everything becomes about survival, not about purpose. Once we're there, once we're in that place of survival, we begin to feel stuck because when, when we get there, we begin to lose sight of the fingerprints. We begin to lose sight of those little design intricacies. We begin to lose sight of anything in a bigger picture that might connect to that design. And we just deal with what we're stuck in. It's kind of what we talked about last week, right? With circumstances sort of overwhelming. That's more of it. That's more of what our circumstance, more of what drives us. Or maybe you're in a phase of life where you just haven't had the opportunity to discover, because some people, they get locked into a, a way of living, either by family or environment or what have you, education, whatever it is, and they just don't have the opportunity. And when they first get that opportunity to explore what other gifts and skills they might have, all of a sudden they go, wow, I never knew I could do this. I never thought. Maybe that's you this morning. What we want to do is we want to tap into just a moment today, and we're going to get to this a little bit later. We're going to give you a moment to, to hear the clues that God might be dropping in your life and, and give you a moment to pull back and think, what is it I'm really doing here? Hopefully, there'll be opportunities that come alongside of that to allow you to begin to explore. But in order for us to hear anything about our purpose, we have to understand, first of all, that it's not just, a, you know, this isn't just a Nate thing. It's not Nate saying, hey, you have a purpose. woo You know, or a great message last week, or a moderate message, or whatever it was last week. You know, it, you know, you hit Genesis and you kind of go, oh, well, that's cool. You know, God made things and, you know. But we have an amazing ability as human beings to say, well, that's great for most people. <laughs> 
but that couldn't possibly apply to me, don't we? I mean, we have this, we have this way of distancing ourselves from promises that God has made. And so before we get to the point where we try to listen, we need to get some of the lies and some of the junk out of the way by looking at a promise. So join with me. I'm going to hit some things. And, and normally these three passages, I normally take three weeks and like just delve into these passages. I'm a very like in passage, in context kind of person when it comes to reading the Bible. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to actually going to hit the highlights out of each one. I'm going to try and put them together in a way that sort of helps us just identify that promise so we can get some of the lies and the junk out of the way. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 10. Now, if you have a physical Bible with you today, you go ahead and turn. You can look in the index if you want to. It's like three quarters of the way through the Bible. If you don't have a Bible this morning and you have a mobile device, you can download you, you, the YouVersion Bible. It takes about a second as long as reception is good. Uh, or we're going to have the verses up here. Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 10. Very simply, this verse says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we talked last week about God creating, and when he made humanity, he, he formed us. It was the word yatsar, and it's formed with additional purpose. When we come all the way over to Ephesians, Paul is writing about this same kind of thing, how God has made us, how he's designed us. And he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Now, just in case you don't know this, when you come to the New Testament, or the second half of the Bible, so to speak, it's in Greek, and Greek was the common language of the day. Much like in English is the common business language today across the world in many, in many respects, that's, that's what Greek was in the day. So although uh, Jesus and, and his disciples probably still spoke Aramaic, which was kind of like a modern Hebrew, the re- whenever they talked to the broader culture, they spoke in Greek. Because Greek was one of those languages that if they heard it, generally everybody's going to at least get most of the understanding out of what's being said. So it's in Greek, and the Greek word for workmanship, the Greek word for workmanship is poema. What word does that sound like to you? Poema. Poem right? It is actually a word where we get our word poem from. And it means exactly that. It means to, to put together a bunch of words, put together something creatively designed to have an impact. So poem or song or work of art. So let me ask you, if you write a song and you record it, what do you do with that song? You share it How? You, okay, so you might sell it in a, in a, in a physical, in, a, in the business sense, but, but for the song itself, if you could sell the song, but what if nobody push, pushes play? What if nobody clicks play? When you write a song and you record a song, it's intended to what? Be played, be listened to, be heard. Whether you're, a, 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 you know, you play an instrument or you play with your voice, the song is meant to be performed. It's meant to be shared. If you write a poem, it's meant to be read. And poems in particular are written and the words put together in a way that when you hear it, you hear those words not as common language, but you hear it with a profound impact. And it's, it's just all in how they're organized and how they rhyme and whatever the scheme is of how a poem is put together. Incredibly powerful poems have just a lot of attention given to the organization of the words. 
or a work of art, when somebody creates something, they don't stick it in a closet. It was created with a purpose. It's meant to have an impact. The people who go and see that art are meant to have an experience when they encounter that art. Whatever the artist's intention was, you're meant to have an experience. What Paul is saying here, that you're God's workmanship, you're his poem, you're his song, you're his work of art, and when people encounter you, they're meant to have an experience. What is that experience? They're meant to encounter God. They're meant to encounter God when they encounter you. So if you have decided to follow Jesus with your life, you have one part of the promise here is God has designed you and is redesigning you in whatever ways that your life is being retooled by him so that when people experience you, they experience you like a piece of art. They experience you like a song and their life is impacted. So when, when, when Gilbert gets up and says, you know, you know, take a You Matter card and you know, go tell people that they matter and love on them and show them the love of Jesus, that's not just some church thing and that's not just some evangelism tool and that's just not, you know, hey, get more people in here. That is a foundational principle and promise out of Scripture. You are designed to be a piece of art that displays the character and nature of God. I've, I've met people who are similar, but I've never met two people who are exactly alike. Have you? Anybody? And if everybody in the world is distinctly different, even in just a minor way, what does that say about God? God's infinite. God is infinite. And so every person who is walking this earth today is meant to display a particular piece of God's character and nature. And that's why God wants to have a relationship with us. That's why he wants to be involved in our lives and and clean out some of those cruds and agendas and everything else and desires that we respond to that take us off the path with him. Because when we get off that path, we're no longer displaying his glory and his character and nature. We're just showing what's normal, what we all know, just by walking out the door and living life in this world. So it says we were created... We're a workmanship created. We're an art form. We're a poem. We're a song. And it says we were created, he created in Christ Jesus. So if we are walking with Jesus in our life, in Christ, he has already planned out things for us to do. Good works in advance. Now this is not just like, hey, you know, he wants to go down and stand on the corner and and do this or that. Yes, those good works, yes, but that's not it. It's not just going and doing churchy things or, or religious things. He has planned out for your life to have an impact and an impact for good in the lives of others. Maybe for your art and who you are to spark somebody else's understanding that they're an artwork as well. And their life has a purpose as well. So this is the promise in Ephesians 10. You are meant to be displayed as a piece of art that displays God's goodness. What, what, what happens when we live opposite to that design? What happens when we're not walking in that? What happens when we're, when we're resisting maybe some of those pieces that God has tried to design into us? God, God has designed you uniquely. And if you remove that piece and you walk differently, I think the first piece of it's obvious. We stop displaying that particular piece of God's character and nature, but there's more to it. 
Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, it's just, uh, just back a few pages. Romans chapter 1. In Romans, Paul is explaining to the Greeks in Rome and the new believers in Rome what this whole relationship with God looks like. And so a number of years ago when I encountered this, I was really shocked and then I thought, well, no, it makes sense. Paul's taking a a principle and a promise that God has made and he's explaining it to people who are just starting the journey and they're they're starting to figure out what this looks like. And so he breaks this down and it it sounds sort of complicated when we just read Romans 1 and 2 flatly, but I want to pull out two pieces for you that I think We'll start to connect once, once, we, uh, once we uncover them here. Look at verse 18 in Romans 1. And I'm just going to hit two pieces in, in here. Romans uh, 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And, and you know, wickedness, is, it could also be translated by, you know, kind of persisting in a, in a wrong direction. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain. Now stop there for a second. So if, if we in our lives say, I don't know what God expects of me. I don't know that God exists. Paul's saying, no, 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 God's, God's taking that away. Because everything that he's made bears his fingerprints, just like these mugs. Everything that he's made actually has, I mean, when a potter makes a mug, do you realize skin cells, I mean, this is kind of gross, but, you know, skin cells wind up in there. They wind up in there. Now, they may burn up and so on and, and turn to ash as it, it's fired, but that DNA is still in there. It may be destroyed, but in, in a physical sense from what we understand, but think about that in regards to your life. If God made you, his character and nature is not just something that magically falls on you. He got into the dirt and the mud himself, and so pieces, he's invested himself in you so that he would know. This is why scripture says we are made in the image of God. Every aspect of who we are bears a piece of who God is. His fingerprints are all over us. And in Romans 1, it says, you know, this, this wrath of, the wrath of God is being revealed. Notice it doesn't say God sits in heaven and waits to send a lightning bolt on anybody who's wicked. Does it say that? It doesn't say that. And yet that's how we act. We, we, you know, we're like, okay, God, zap them. You know, we're just waiting for that, or we wait for it for ourselves. It doesn't say that. What it says is his wrath is revealed. How is it revealed? It means something is happening that's causing the wrath of God to be known. Not God intentionally trying to be wrathful and, and, and mean and destructive with people, but something is happening that is causing the wrath of God to be revealed. What is it? It's right there in verse 19 and 20. What is plain about God to be known by people is out there. His fingerprints are all over everything, but rather than recognize it, people choose to ignore it and live how they want. Well, we get that, don't we? Don't we get that? Even when we know something that God expects of us, we know what it's like to say, man, I just don't feel like it today, God. Really? Really? And then when we experience the consequence of that, ooh, it's heavy. That's wrath. God didn't sit there and wait to strike you with a lightning bolt. It's, it's simply there. His, the consequences are a reflection of what happens when we walk away from God. It's just, it's there. 
And we have a choice to either walk in blessing and walk in his grace or not. And so when we choose not to, we reveal wrath. We reveal destructiveness. When we choose to walk with God, we reveal his grace and his goodness and his love. Does that make sense? Got, okay, good. So that's just verse 18. Let's, let's move on. So what it says there for the rest of the verses up until verse 30 and 32, 31, 30 through 32 is basically that what happened is humanity persists in living this way that is opposite to the way that God has intended, ignoring God, not doing anything with who God is. And then what happens is they, they, they get to this point where God says, okay, look, if you're going to persist in that way, I'm going to let you f- experience the fullness of this. And what Paul goes on to describe in the rest of the verses there is that people actually do this downward spiral. Has anybody ever done a downward spiral? Has anybody ever had a friend who did a downward spiral? I mean, you see it. You see this progression from the first lie or the first choice that's willful that they do, and then you see it come to a consequence, and they deny that it had anything to do with the choice they made, and then they deny that it had anything, and it keeps getting deeper and deeper, and you see their life unraveling right in front of you, and you feel helpless to do it, and there's just excuse after excuse, and they just ignore it, and they just keep getting worse, and then they complain. I don't know why my life is so terrible. Oh, okay, you know, we we love you. (laughs) I mean, you just, you get there, right? That's what the rest of what Paul describes. He basically says, look, if we walk opposite to him, he's going to hand us over to our own desires, and we're going to get to experience the fullness of all of that destruction, and it goes on and describes, you want to see it, I mean, it's everything from, you know, improper relationships to wickedness to murder to slander to, I mean, you pick it, it's in there. And then he comes down to this in verses 29 through 32. They become with every, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy and murder and strife, deceit and malice. That's where the spiral goes to, okay? Once we start down that spiral, that's where it ends up. Slanderers, God haters, insolent, arrogant, bows. I mean, he just goes on and on. it's thick. But Paul really gets to it. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Gotta tell you, I've been there. Anybody else? Been there. I know what it is to walk that. To get to the point where you're senseless, you're faithless, ruthless, you just don't care. You're so angry. You feel so stuck. Although they know God's righteous decree, in other words, God's commandments, God's teachings, that those who continue to do these things deserve death or will gain death. They not only continue to do these things, but they give strong approval and permission to anybody else who does. That verse is huge. Because when it says they know what they ought to do, and even though they know what they ought to do, they choose to do what will bring death, what will bring destruction. They choose to do that. The word there, the choose to do, is, uh, it's, I say it poorly, and so forgive me because I'm, I'm not Greek. Um, it's poiusin. But it's, it's like poema. It's the root is poema. But it means the one who does the poetry, the one who performs the song. But what it's saying here is, instead of performing the song, they're performing all the wrong songs. They're playing all the stuff that leads to death. And they're choosing to continually do that. 
And not only are they choosing to continually do that and go in the opposite direction, but anybody else who does, they try to encourage them. We know that, don't we? Misery loves, fill it in blank, company. Misery loves company. Because when, when your life is falling apart and you feel terrible, the last thing you want to feel in that moment is alone, Right? And so if you can somehow find somebody else whose life is just as bad, or, or you can somehow justify that they've done the same things you have, and boy, we just don't deserve all this crud that's happening, right? We feel better about ourselves. This is what happens. When we live opposite to the design, we not only go on the downward spiral, but we take others with us. Do you see the two sides of the coin? We're either living a life that reflects God's love, mercy, and grace and draws people to him and shows his character and nature, or we're living a life that's about us and it's falling apart and we take the rest of the world to hell with us. No pressure. Okay, no pressure. If you're stuck this morning, I just want to ask you point blank. Don't answer out loud. It's just for you to think about. Like Jesus asked to the man who was unwell, do you want to be well? If you're stuck this morning, do you want to be unstuck? Do you really want to be unstuck? I want to share with you, Carlos uh, is a friend of mine. And when Carlos first came to the ministry, um, out in Ohio, um, just a really neat guy to hang out with. He'd make jokes about his race, and he'd make jokes. You know, he just he just he was he was he'd call himself a Mexican. You know, I mean, just all this stuff. And he just, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, he just ah, and 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 he was really great. And as we got to know Carlos, we got to know that there was an inner struggle in him. Carlos had some pretty incredible gifts and talents. But he also had a huge monkey on his back. Carlos was into crack cocaine. And, and along with crack cocaine and the convenience, whenever he's doing crack cocaine, he was doing it with people who were both male and female. And the convenience of being in that setting, obviously sex followed. And so he had not only drug addiction, but then he had sexual addiction and, and, and relational brokenness all over the place. And as we got to know Carlos, it's like, man, you know, how do we, how do we help him get off the spiral? How do we help him get off of this place where he, because he couldn't hold a job, he couldn't, nothing. And what we found out was Carlos had a gift for slam poetry. This is back before I knew what slam poetry was. Everybody know what slam poetry is? It's like, it's sort of like modern rap, but anyways. Uh, it's very, very powerful poetry. And it's often said in a setting like this where it's just very, very... Uh, passionate, raw. And he would carry with him a, 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 a notebook. And in that notebook, every day, every day, he was generating his poem after poem after poem. Some of them would be three, four pages long. And when he would say them, there was the, you could just see on his face, his whole body would begin to resonate with this passion of what was, went into that poem. And it, he would just express it and it would come out and you'd be like, wow. And then you'd see him again, and it'd be like, oh, man, you know, I'm sorry. I was, you know, I was doing crack last night. And, and he, just, he would just go back and forth and back and forth. Carlos, 
had decided to follow Jesus with his life, but he was stuck between the life he knew and the spiral he had been on and something that God was birthing in him, something that God was bringing about in him and his gifts and abilities. As Carlos began to, and I won't give you this whole story, but as Carlos began to see the power of what was going on in slam poetry, we began to affirm that. We only played a small part. God did the whole thing where, where he just began to show Carlos that what he was doing in and through slam poetry and his gifts and talents was so much more important. And so as a community, we just kind of surrounded him and said, you know what, Carlos, all right, last night was a mess. Get up. Keep going. We would show him grace that said, look, we love you anyway. Get up. Take another step. Because I don't know if anybody's been an addict in here, but one of the things about addictions is you cannot plan to be sober next year. (laughs) You can't plan to be sober next week. You can only plan to be sober today. You can only plan to walk free today. And Carlos needed that. He needed that constant encouragement. Well, eventually Carlos got to the point where he was also mentoring from a pastor who had been deep into addiction and was helping him walk it out. Carlos began to, to shed some of that, that crack cocaine and all these broken relationships. He, he began to desire what God was doing more than what his life had been. And as he moved forward in that, God began to open opportunity after, after opportunity. And Carlos now uses his slam poetry in support of like political gatherings and things like that, which agree or disagree, uh, whether you think that's appropriate, it's truly something that God set up for him. And it's helping him walk in freedom. If you're stuck this morning, are you willing to lay aside habits and rebellion? Get that hook out of you. Carlos did. It's a daily battle, but he did. Because he knows it's worth it. He knows what God has set up is worth it. He knows the promise that God has made that he's his workmanship is worth it. The last piece of the promise I want to share with you is the the part that talks about how do we walk in that. Turn over to Romans 2, just the page or two to the right. Verse 12. The most of Romans 2 when Paul starts out, he talks about God's grace and his patience. Basically why God doesn't sit there with a lightning bolt ready to zap us. He loves us. And he's graciously patient and, and he just waits and he, he, he works and he draws us near constantly. When you get to verse 12 and 13, it says this, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Verse 13, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So the first, verse 12 is, whether we have the law or not, if we don't have the law, we're going to live a life and we're going to die apart from God. And it's, you know, it's just totally separate from anything to do with God. And when it's the word law, there also could be God's word or teachings. Uh, I like that better than, than law because we think law like, oh no, I'm going to you know, get in big trouble. Well, I guess it essentially you do. But if we live apart from the law, we've never heard it. We don't have the opportunity. We die apart. We don't, we don't we die apart from God. If we have encountered the word of God we hear it, we're now responsible for what we've heard, and our life will be considered in line with what we did with that. But what Paul's saying is, okay, fine, but that's not the point. The point is, if you want to live rightly with God, it's not whether you hear it, it's not whether you show up on a weekly basis or a Bible study or whatever, and you hear the word of God. 
It's whether you obey the word of God. Guess what the root word, the Greek root word for obey is? It's the only root word we've talked about this morning. It's poema. When I first encountered that, it blew my mind. I went, poema? Obey? Poema? The word Paul uses is intentional. He says it's not those who hear, and let me just reinterpret it for you. It's not those who hear the word who are made right with God. Though hearing the word may have an impact on us and we may decide to have a relationship with God out of it, it's not the hearing that makes us right with God. We're not living right if we're only hearing it. It's when it takes root and we begin to become the performers of that song. When we become the people who are reading that poem or explaining and displaying that piece of art, when our life takes on that display that God has artistically designed in us and we begin to live that out, then we're walking right with God. So Romans 1 is saying, hey, you know what? It's sin. What sin is, is generally, yes, to be separated from God and and to not walk his way, but specifically when we are walking opposite, intentionally opposite to the design. But we are right with God when we're listening to the design that he has put in us and we begin to walk rightly in that. And people all around us, everywhere that we go, begin to see the character and the nature of God in and through who he's made us to be. That's powerful. So you have a promise that you are God's workmanship. You are a piece of art meant to display God's character. And you're encouraged not to walk opposite to that because that's a spiral that leads downward to death, but to walk in the art that he has made you to be and display his character and nature in line with his word so that everywhere you go, that goodness, that love, that grace of God is being not only experienced by others, but you're walking in it. You're walking in it. Now that's a lot, and I'm going to stop there because your brains are probably thumping at this point. The promise is great. It's great for us to know that. It's great for us to see that we can either walk opposite or we can walk in it. We'll talk next week about how God specifically empowers us to walk in the design. But what good is a promise if we don't know how to act on it? Right? What good is a promise if we sit and we look in the mirror and we go, okay, that's nice. I heard a great message on, you know, God loving me and designing me. But I have no idea what I am. Am I a song? Am I a poem? Am I that funky metal structure that's normally outside on a university campus and everybody walks by and climbs on, but we're not really sure what it is? I mean, what, 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 what am I? What good is a promise if we don't know what we are? I'm going to play a video for you. And this, there's no sound in the video, so don't like strain to try and hear things. It's intentionally silent. And it's meant for you to simply observe. You can bring the lights back down again if you want, uh, just to make it easier to see. It's meant for you to specifically observe something and reflect and just create a moment of openness here for you. The rest of this time, I want to invite you to reflect and listen. And if you need to, in whatever way, shape, or form that that this needs to be done for you, you can do it out loud if you have to. You can do it silently in your head. But would you just take a moment and say, Lord, would you speak to me about my purpose and my design? You just take a moment and do that. Just take a couple seconds. Lord, 
speak to me about my purpose and my design. And we're going to trust that God is going to do that this morning. I want to set some groundwork, though, as you watch the video. I never imagined in my own life that I would be a potter. I never imagined that I would be somebody who would be working with clay. It was not on my radar. It was a curiosity, but seriously not something that I intended to ever really do. And through a series of very clear, unexpected God events, an opportunity was made, and I discovered something about the way he's designed me. I now have it as a hobbyist business. I'll share that story more in depth if you want to hear it outside of here. But I discovered as I walked into this, there are so many parallels between pottery, working with clay, and working with people. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes several comparisons between working with clay and working with people. And I just want to share a couple of them them with you. Think about this. As you're watching what's happening here, think about this. When moist clay like this, if it's too dry and lumpy, it fights back. It doesn't want to be shaped. It pushes back on the potter's hand and says, I don't want to be that. And it needs to be set aside and it needs to soak for a while and be more saturated with water so it becomes more pliable, more flexible. When clay is too wet, too saturated, it can't stand up. It can't hold its shape. If the clay is not centered on the wheel, it wobbles. And in the wobbling, it becomes lopsided. It becomes deformed and can't be shaped to the design it should be. The artist has in mind when he comes to the wheel, at least in general, what he's going to be making. And as he works the clay, if the clay cooperates, if it, if it stays centered between the potter's hands, stays pliable, and allows itself to take the shape being given to it, it becomes a beautiful work of art. Or a very functional work of art, like a mug. It can, be crafted, it can be crafted into incredible things. And as it's crafted and as it's shaped, its purpose and its design become more clear. I want to give you just a few moments in silence now that you know those things and think about you. Imagine you're that clay. Imagine the potter's hands are God's hands in your life. And just let God speak to you. Where are you? Are you dry? Are you fighting back? Are you too saturated with what's going on in your circumstances that you can't hold a shape? Are you centered between his hands or running off the wheel all the time? And as you reflect on that, let God speak and let him begin to say to you something about your shape, your design. Let's trust him to do that.
as you watch this piece take its final shapes, I just want to reflect on a couple things with you. Notice there's no panic in the hands. Even as the piece wobbles and struggles to hold its, its design in an even way, lumps in the clay, dryness, whatever it is, the floor being uneven, <laughs> there's no panic. God does not panic when our life seems to be wobbling. He continues to shape right through it. What are you chasing this morning? What keeps you from being shaped and growing in the gifts that God desires to grow you in? What gifts maybe have you ignored or unappreciated? What part of your design maybe you've been convinced it's negative? It's not right. When in fact it may be something that God has crafted into you. What demands are you putting on God's plan? (laughs) What expectations are you adding to God's plan? I hope that as you've been watching that the Lord has been touching at least pieces of where you are in your shaping, where you are in your design. And I hope he continues. My prayer is going to be that he continues to do that throughout today, throughout this week. The question to walk away with today is what is a simple first step or a simple next step to dig in and explore what God is showing you about who you are. If you have this design, this promise that God has made, how do you begin to walk in it? And whether you're an addict or not, whether you're lost or not as far as feeling stuck, whether you're broken or not, it's the same for all of us. One day, one step. How do you begin to take that first step or that next step in your design? You can keep watching the video as I pray or you can pray with me. Uh, We'll let this play until uh, the band comes back up. Father, I thank you. Thank you, God, that you don't make junk You don't make accidents. And that nobody here this morning, nobody in this world is an accident. Your hands crafted, your hands designed, your hands were involved in putting them together. And you want to finish their design. I pray, Father, this morning that you would draw us near to you, continue to speak to our hearts. And help us take the first steps in walking the rest of our days in that design. Show us what that looks like. Show show us how it happens. God, for those who are in survival mode, show them a life without that. Begin to show them pieces and the exit ramps from those things. 
And for those who just feel like they've come a long way, but they're not really sure how to grow any further. God, I pray that you would just, just like a sunrise on a mountaintop and looking over the valley, you would just begin to dawn on their reality. Show them pieces about their life and what you've been doing that they've just never imagined. And Lord, as we go this week, keep speaking, keep speaking to our hearts and our minds about who you've made us to be. Thank you, God. Praise you in Jesus' name.